Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Midweek Bible Study 2023 Winter Edition. Today is Wednesday, January 11th, and I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. So glad to have you, and once again, a very happy and blessed New Year to all of you. We're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about how and why Paul defends his authority. The text will be 2 Corinthians, the entire chapter 10. But before we get to a little bit more information there, let's take a moment and have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing opportunity we have before us. Lord, in this new year, as we study your word, I pray that you'll find us faithful and great doers of your word. Thank you for that opportunity we have in Christ, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Now, because chapter 10 is a long chapter, I've divided it into two studies. So today we're going to be covering 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. And next week, we'll finish up chapter 10 with verses 10 through 18. There's just so much to talk about. I just didn't want to rush through it. So this way we can take our time. Now, let me give you an overview of what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is all about. In this chapter, you'll see a drastic change in tone from Paul's previous writings. It changes from a conciliatory tone to a severe tone. In the first nine chapters, Paul was careful to congratulate the Corinthians for their obedience to his latest directives. But the final four chapters, starting with 10, warn the Corinthians in no uncertain terms to reform or change their ways. We're going to read that there are some critics in Corinth who pointed out that Paul had the ability to express himself very well in written form, but they claimed that though his letters were potent, his outward appearance was very meek and mild, which was a true contradiction in their eyes. And Paul doesn't argue that point either, but he warned against judging people by what was on the outside and insisted that he only worked for the glory of the Lord. So open up your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's find out more about what's happening in these opening verses, verses 1 through 9. Follow along as I read. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. Let's unpack these opening nine verses, shall we? Starting with verse 1. Verse 1 reads, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from afar. The question is, compared to how Paul began the last chapter, chapter 9, this beginning is much bolder. 
Why do you think he chose to do that? Paul begins by declaring himself boldly, Now I, Paul. Now I believe his intention here is to emphasize exactly who he is in Christ. He appeals to the virtues exhibited by Christ. You know, if we properly understand this, qualities such as kindness and gentleness were valued in the Greek culture of Paul's day. In fact, they were expected from strong leaders. As used here, kindness or meekness, as some translations will show, is not weakness. The Greek term praoutes has more to do with humility than softness. It implies strength under control. In Paul's case, comparing his letters to his personal conduct, it means the ability to keep a calm spirit under pressure. Paul can keep his power under control and not exercise it beyond what is necessary. Gentleness, too, requires responding to others with understanding. The Greek term epiakei implies someone who can adjust to circumstances and responses rather than forcing them to adjust to you. Another translation of this word is tolerance. Paul wants the Corinthians to see that he's approaching them with these Christ-like qualities and not with weakness. You see, some in Corinth apparently were saying that Paul was weak, at least in person. He quotes them in this verse as saying that he's timid. In this context, this is meant in the sense of being downcast, low, or lacking confidence. Supposedly, this is Paul's attitude when he's with them, as opposed to being brash when he's away, writing his letters. All right, next up, let's look at verse 2. It reads, Well, I am begging you now, so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. The question I have for you is, based on this verse, why is Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians? Paul was hoping and praying that when he came, everything would be in order in the church. He wanted to give the Corinthians enough time to deal with the difficulties that they were having in the church and to deal with them on their own. This verse also clearly identifies Paul's critics. Who are they? It says, those who think we act from human motives. Now, based on Paul's earlier commendation of himself and his fellow workers for the gospel, it seems that false teachers, false apostles, if you will, among the Corinthians were accusing him of being a false apostle. They were accusing him of making decisions and preaching according to worldly standards instead of God's holy standards. They accused him of a lack of integrity and working for his own gain. And they probably accused him of planning to take some of the collection for the Jerusalem Christians for himself. But Paul warns that he will show boldness to those who suspect him or his team of self-serving motives. Next up, verse 3. It reads, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Now that's a really interesting verse to me. And the question is, what does this verse mean and how does it relate to us today? Paul was human, we all know that, and as such, he was susceptible to all kinds of difficulties, oversights, and weaknesses. Yet he said that he and his fellow workers did not wage war as humans do. That's what the verse said. As he will clarify in the following verses, he and his co-workers, they see themselves as engaged in spiritual warfare, doing battle with spiritual weapons. Now, in saying this, he's making clear to the Corinthians that he sees this disagreement with his opponents in Corinth as more than just a mere political struggle over authority. It is nothing less than a spiritual war with eternal consequences. 
If you turn to Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Christian life is a spiritual battle against spiritual forces aligned against Christ. Fighting this spiritual battle with weapons of the world, with physical strength, worldly strategies, and material wealth would be foolish. A spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons that can only come from God. Next up, let's look at verses 4 and 5. They read, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Here's the question. What are God's mighty weapons that are mentioned in verse 4, and why are they necessary to carry out verse 5? According to Ephesians 6 and through 20, God's mighty weapons are faith, truth, righteousness, the gospel message, and the word of God. The Holy Spirit equips Christians for struggle, providing the weapons they need. Worldly weapons, such as wealth, fame, and political might, might yield some power on this earth, but they are useless in spiritual battles. In verse 5, the devil's strongholds include every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. You see that in the verse? The world of ideas is the real battleground for God and the devil. Many complex theories and philosophies try to block people from knowing the truth about God and worshiping him. These false philosophies that divert glory from God and hide the truth are the devil's strongholds. In Corinth, where advances in Greek philosophy were held in high esteem, the believers were tempted to evaluate the gospel with the various tools of Greek philosophy. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul had already told the Corinthians that the gospel would appear as foolishness to those who saw the world through the lens of similar Greek philosophy. Just as an army would attack a fortress, so Christians must take apart and defeat those false and evil arguments. Next up, verse 6. It says, And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Wow, that sounds like it's a stern warning, and indeed it is, which brings the question, what does he mean when he says these people need to become fully obedient? And what punishment do you think would be given to those who remained disobedient? Paul's first priority was to see the Corinthian believers being fully obedient to Christ in all things, including godly direction through Christ's representative, Paul. Paul and his associates were ready, though, to punish those in Corinth who refused to obey. This refers especially to the false teachers that were among them. By punishment, Paul doesn't mean that he has any interest or authority relating to physical harm. Even to the opponents of the gospel of Jesus, Christians are not permitted to use violence in an attempt to defend the faith, John 18.36. This was part of Paul's earlier comment that his weapons are not physical, but spiritual. The punishment referred to here would include excommunication, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, and it would mean some form of spiritual discipline against those in Christ who were living in rebellion. This was offered as a warning to those who thought Paul would be too weak or soft-spoken in person to actually follow through on his strong words in the letter. Next up, let's look at verse 7. 
It says, look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. Here's the question. How does Paul encourage the Corinthians to adjust their perspective in this verse? This passage urges these Christians to look at the evidence that's right in front of them. In other words, why is there a church in Corinth in the first place? Why do most of them even believe in Christ? They believed the gospel when Paul preached it to them. How could they believe themselves to belong to Christ and not believe that Paul also belongs to Christ? Some translators read the Greek phrase at the beginning of this verse differently. For instance, the NIV translates it, you are judging by appearances, meaning that the Corinthians were sizing up Paul based on his unimpressive physical presentation instead of the spiritual reality in Christ. This translation would also make sense in the context of the letter, as does the idea that Paul is urging them to look around and see the results of his teaching with their own eyes. Let's look at verse 8. It says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. The question is, what is the authority Paul talks about in this verse? Although Paul's opponents had portrayed him as weak and powerless, Paul reminded the Corinthians that he did possess God-given authority. And if Paul did not acknowledge and act on that authority, he would be guilty of disobeying Christ's mission for him. False teachers were encouraging the believers to ignore Paul, but he maintained that what he had written in his letters was to be taken seriously. Paul possessed the authority from the Lord to exhort the Corinthians. Although he would not boast in himself or compare himself to other preachers, he would boast in the Lord and in the authority that Jesus had given him to preach the gospel that saves. Unlike the false teachers who had come to Corinth, Paul knew the limits of his authority. He wasn't given authorization to tear down the church. Paul's mission was constructive, not destructive. So he would not sit by and allow his work in Corinth to be destroyed. And our final verse for today, verse 9, it reads, I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. The question is, why would Paul's letters be frightening to the Corinthians? Apparently, Paul's critics had attacked his letters as not only hard to understand, but also written to frighten the Corinthians. I don't think that was the case at all, though, when you read them. Even though his last letter was harsh, Paul cried over it. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4? It was really an emotional time for Paul. He didn't enjoy writing that letter. I think that what Paul was implying here was that he's not bluffing, that these were not empty threats. His words were warnings that he would follow through when he was with them in person because there were some troublesome situations in the church. That is for sure. Folks, that's going to do it for us today as we've reached verse 9. As I said, we're going to continue next week with verses 10 through 18, and we're going to continue to talk about how and why Paul defends his authority. It's going to be an amazing conclusion. These last four chapters, as we said earlier, are really different in tone for Paul, but he has to stand up. We'll talk more about that next time. Thanks again for being with me today. It's always a joy to be with you. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. God bless you. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. 
To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.